Okay, so one thing that we are going to continue to do is we're going to continue to go through the book of First Peter. Uh, this morning, we're in a bit of a concluding mini-series on the topic of submission in the book of First Peter. So we're going to be in chapter 3. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Christy King, come on up and ask her to read. We're going to be on page 1015 in these uh, black Bibles. They're in the chairs around you. I don't think they were cleaned and sanitized this week. I'm sure you can take one home and clean it and sanitize it if you'd like to. Uh, take it home and it's our gift to you. So, uh, Chris is going to read, but if you will, please stand as we show reverence to God's word. <clears throat> Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see you respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of clothes, or the putting on of clothing. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hope in God is to adore themselves, by submitting to their husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, if you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's a joy to be together with your people. I thank you for this rhythm of week in and week out for 2,000 years that your people have gathered on this day. And so, Lord, we thank you for the privilege. We thank you for the opportunity. God, we, we pray and we submit that you are the one who is sovereign, that you are the one who is in heaven, who does all that he pleases. From the rising of the sun to its setting, your name will be great among the nations, Lord. God, I pray just for those who come here and are questioning why and what's going on in the world. God, I pray just that they would find hope in you and in your word. The word says that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your ways higher than our ways. Lord, we don't understand exactly what's going on in the world, but what we do understand is that you are in control of all these things. So Lord, I pray just for those of us who have been anxious this week, who are concerned about themselves, their family, their friends, God, we pray, would you protect us? Would you help us? Lord, would you cause this virus to stop the spread. Lord, would you bring about a remedy, a vaccine for this quickly? Lord, I thank you for the leaders in our town, county, state, governments, and around the world who have had to make hard decisions. And Lord, I pray for them and just ask, would you give them wisdom? Would you give them stamina as this thing is a marathon? Day in and day out, they have to make decisions that affect people's lives. 
So would you help them in that decision-making process, Lord? And God, I also pray for the church. I pray for the church universally, and I pray for us here locally. Lord, this is an incredible opportunity. Lord, I pray that we would entrust ourselves to you while doing good to other people. Lord, this is an incredible opportunity for the light of the gospel to shine through your people. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are quick to help, that we would not take a shelter mentality, but Lord, that we would put ourselves out there to serve and love people. And God, I ask that you would use it to draw people to yourself. That true, authentic Christianity would rise to the occasion, would rise to the surface, and that people would see your people in action, and that they would want to entrust themselves to you. So we love you, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would do this for your glory. And God, as we turn to your word here and now, Lord, this is a tough text. And God, we pray and ask that you would teach us according to your word here and now. Thank you for the opportunity to sit underneath it and to learn from you, Lord Jesus. So we ask for your help now. And we pray all in Jesus' name. You guys. Okay. So 1 Peter chapter 3. Feel free to leave your Bibles open if you got it. We'll be referencing it quite a bit. Alright. So this past uh, this past week, my wife and I we got to go on a hot date. Uh, we went to Old Town. It was fantastic. Uh, great Plates was going on. If you don't know what Great Plates is, uh, like everything else this week, it's done. Uh, but uh, we went to a restaurant, we sit down, we order our honey sriracha chicken bites, and she looks at me and she says, Hey, how's your sermon going? I'm like, oh my gosh. You had to bring that up now. On the hot date night with no kids, no agenda, we have to talk about the thing that's stressing me out the moment. And I said, oh, it's for me. <laughs> and I said, but there's just one problem that I have, Michelle. And she said, what's that? And I said, well, I'm just having trouble wrapping my mind around this concept of submission. And specifically around the, difficult, the difficulty that women have with submitting to their husbands. She, she licks her chops. <laughs> She's ready to sink in, not just to these honey sriracha chicken bites, but she's ready to help me. And the words that flowed from her mouth were absolutely beautiful, because what she said was, well, in my experience, but also as I interpret the world around us and the Bible, she said that oftentimes this issue of submission in marriage is such an issue because of abusive husbands. And because of men who misunderstand their role and their call in the marriage relationship. But she also said that there's a misunderstanding of the women, and they don't truly understand what biblical submission looks like. But what she said that stuck out to me the most was that there's such an issue with submission because people don't trust God. People don't trust God that in his design of marriage and the 
husband's role and the wife's role that it is to lead to their good, to their joy, to their flourishing. And I said, I love you. I love you, baby. So this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. This morning we're going to talk about when we trust ourselves to God and submit ourselves to his design goals for the marriage that will lead to our good doing. We trust God when we submit to his design for goals. Pretty straightforward in our text. We're going to see the role of the wife in submission. And then we're going to look and see at the role of the husband in marriage and who he submits to. Now, before we dive in to those, those points, I want to give just a bit of a pastoral disclaimer about this passage. Uh, this passage has been misinterpreted many times, and thus I think it has been misapplied many times. And so I just want to give a handful of things of what this passage does not mean. And specifically to the wives. So wives, if your husband asks you to abandon your faith in Jesus, or if he asks you to sin, that's not your calling. That's not what you're to submit to. Chiefly you submit to her. But this passage does also, it, it also does not mean that you have to always agree with your husband and never present a different Quite the contrary, my This passage also does not teach that if your husband has been unfaithful to you, that you are not left with a biblical alternative. You are And chiefly, this passage does not teach that if you are in an abusive relationship, whether it's physical abuse or whether it's verbal humiliation, passage does not teach that you have to take that at all costs. That is not God's design for you in your marriage relationship. And so ladies, if you find yourself in a relationship like that, please know that we as a church want to help you. And not just the church community, but our pastoral team wants to help you. And so please come talk to us. If you feel uncomfortable coming to us here this morning, you can shoot us an email. Our emails are on the way. So please come get help. Okay. Pastoral disclaimers. Let's close that. Let's look at what this passage actually does teach. And we'll start with the wives in verse 1. We're going to look at the what, the why, and the how of the wife. We're going to look at the beautiful design of the wife. Okay. Before we dive in there, let me just remind you our, our context of our passage. We've been doing this mini-series of submission. Two weeks ago, Aaron talked about the role of everyone to submit to the governing authorities. Peter has started out pretty broad, and then last week we funneled down to employers and employees and what submission looks like there. And today, we're going to get a little bit more specific of what submission looks like in the marriage so for the wives, verse 1, the Apostle Peter says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So boom, there's the what, right out of the gate. That's what wives are called to. This is an imperative 
to obey. But notice the why as it keeps going in verse 1. So that, even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their lives. What Peter is talking about here is non-Christian husbands. Which, in that day and age, and I would say even in our day and age, that's fairly common. Where one spouse would come, hear the gospel, repent, believe, come to faith in Jesus, be born again, and then they go home. And they have a spouse who's yet to be born again, yet to come to faith. And so Peter here is specifically addressing wives with non-Christian husbands in that situation. But notice that little word, some, so that even if some do not obey the word, some husbands, some non-Christian husbands, I think the implications of that word mean that the calling that Peter has here is for all wives, not just those with non-Christian husbands. So we've seen the what, the why, and we'll spend the rest of our time looking at the how. Notice the how. He says in verse 2, no, he says that they may be won by the conduct of their wives, which is respectful and pure. Conduct. This is a, this is a major theme in verse 2, and we've seen it already. We've seen that we as Christians are called to live a specific way in the world around us. We're to abstain from the passions of our flesh. We are to keep our conduct honorable, and we are to be subject. But let me remind you of the indicative truths before you go and you try to obey those things. We've been born again. We are God's own possession. We are a royal priesthood. As Joey mentioned this morning, we are house that is being built up. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received, we have received mercy. And that is to change how we live our lives. So wives are called to submit by their conduct and how they act and present themselves. And I think this is actually fairly profound. Because what Peter is saying here is that the wives have an incredible impact on the salvation of their non-Christian husbands if they find themselves in that situation. Now remember, Jesus is the one who saves. When somebody hears the word of God and says, I believe in that, Jesus saves them. But we also know that Jesus uses he uses means of grace. And here in our passage this morning, he's calling the wives to do that means of grace. So wives, they trust him by their submission. They trust him by how they act. And here gets real practical here in verses 3 and 5. Notice what he says here. He starts with this concept of adornment, which is a bit of an interesting word. Uh, it kind of has a con- connotation of like an ornament that you stick on a tree and, and look at. But what Peter describes is so much more than a static ornament on a tree. Look what he says here. He starts with the negative in verse 3. 
He says, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. So in Peter's day, just like in our day, ladies are under tremendous pressure of how they present themselves, how they adorn themselves externally. Marketing companies literally spend billions of dollars to make you think that you are not Now, no, what, what Peter is not saying here, like, ladies, you can braid your hair if you want. <laughs> ladies, you can wear gold jewelry or silver jewelry or any jewelry that you want. And ladies, you can wear clothes, okay? <laughs> it's very, it's very clear. But what Peter is saying is that these things are not to be the primary means upon which we ladies upon which you present yourself. So the question is begging then, what is to be the primary means? And Peter shifts to the positive in verse 4. He says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very what we have right here is God's very heart, God's design for Himself, for wives in marriage. And so the question is, ladies, what is your, your aim, your desire, and your focus? Is it this? Is it this internal beauty, which is described as imperishable, which means it doesn't decay and it doesn't go out of style? What Peter is talking about here, this inner beauty, he's talking about a wife's character. How they present themselves internally that flows to the external. And so it really is a question of what does it look like when you submit wives? Is it this grumbling here, oh, I'm just going to conform externally? Or is it, I'm going to trust God gentle? Meek, pure, respectful, as Peter describes it here. Does it flow from the inside to the outside? And please know, ladies, that these character traits described here by Peter in his calling, it's not natural. That was very evident by my date night with Michelle. What Peter is calling the wives to, it's not natural. But it can be learned. And it can be learned as you submit yourself under God's rule and you trust Him by submitting to your husband. So, I think the application is somewhat straightforward. Ladies, do you spend the majority of your time focusing on internal adornment or external? Just this morning, you've got an hour and a half here of internal adornment. You've invested an hour and a half into that. Now, unless you spend an hour and a half getting ready for church this morning, then you're eating. But it's not about how much time you spend. But what does matter is where your thought life goes. What does matter is what you spend your money on. 
And what does matter is in your service. Namely, to your husband. Adornment of our souls, which leads to character, should be chief, primary, utmost. Because God values it. It says here that it is very precious to him, of great worth. But he's one of the motivation to do. Titus chapter 2, I think, is a great application text to complement this text, where it talks about the older wives investing in the woman. Having an older woman coming alongside you and teaching you. Because again, what Peter's calling the wives to, it's not natural. And praise God that we have the context of a church community to help some of the younger wives, to help some of these single ladies who aspire to be a wife someday. I also think there's probably an application point here for the men. Men, based on what Peter says is very precious in God's sight, what's very precious in your sight? If you're a single man looking for a spouse, or if you find yourself raising them, raising boys, are you teaching them to value what God values or what the world values? It takes about one hot second to evaluate external beauty. But internal beauty takes time. And I would say it also takes community to see the character of a woman's life. And may we value what God values. The Apostle Peter points us to an incredible illustration and example in our text this morning. And he's talking about Sarah from the Old Testament. Now, for those of you who uh, are unfamiliar with Sarah, uh, she was Abraham's wife, father Abraham, had many sons from Sarah. And I think she's the perfect example because Abraham, well, he's not exactly the model husband. We went through Genesis last year, and for those of you who remember, he tried to sell and pawn off Sarah not once, but twice, of being his sister, so that he could save his own living. Now, this text does say that Sarah called Abraham Lord, and wives, if you would like to call your husband Lord, that's up to your discretion. Uh, my wife calls me Chief. Um, seriously, it's, and I am Chief Smith in her home. First name, Chief. You can ask her about it. Oh my gosh, you turned it better. <laughs> no, but I think this is a great example. And I went back and looked in Genesis 18 at the exact text that Sarah does call Abraham Lord. And it's a bit of this obscure text. It's one of the few times that God himself appears in the form of a man or an angel in the Old Testament. And God says to Abraham, he says, about a year from now, I'm going to return, and Sarah is going to have a son. And we find out that Sarah is right next door listening to this conversation between God and Abraham. And do you remember what she did? She laughs. She laughs. And then she makes this comment. She says, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? 
And what she's talking about here, after I'm worn out, is menopause. And my, my board is old. Everything's like an old geezer now. You're well beyond the age to have children. And honestly, this, this is an element of suffering going on in Sarah's life. She wanted to have children. Everyone around her, even her servant, is having children. But she's not. She's left out. It's an element of suffering. And so she responds in laughter. Which, honestly, I think as we dive a little bit deeper, it shows an element of fear going on. Which, if you dive a little bit deeper, it shows the doubt in Sarah's heart. Which, if you dive even a little bit deeper, it's the unbelief in her heart. It's the unbelief. Is God able to fill, fulfill his promises? Is God out for my good, my joy, my flourishing? You see, oftentimes when fear comes about in our lives, we begin to doubt God. We begin to doubt His promises. And they, the, those fears just become so consuming that they overtake our mind. They overtake our thoughts. They overtake how we act. Hence, toilet paper this week. Right? Seriously. People are so afraid. And so what happens is that they, they begin to doubt God's goodness. They begin to doubt God's promises. And they think about it. And they churn about it. And they, they might not admit it, but what they're actually doing is they're worshiping the doubts. They're worshiping their fear. And the remedy for that the remedy is the exact thing that they're doubting. The remedy is the promises of God. After Sarah laughed, God said, is anything too hard for me? God promised Sarah a son. And amidst her laughter, amidst her doubt, amidst her fear, God fulfilled his promise. He was gracious to her. So I think Sarah is the perfect example that Peter brings about. Because God did fulfill his promise to her. And so wives, I think the calling is whatever circumstance you find yourself in, the question is, will you take God at his word? Will you take God at his word as you submit to your husband to fulfill his promises to you? He's for your good. He is. Our text says that you are Sarah's children. Which means that you are united not only to her, but you are united to Christ. And all the promises and all the blessings that come of being a Christian and that come for Jesus are your blessings. Your promises. Submission is costly. It's not easy. But ladies, wives, I encourage you to take God at his word. Trust him as you submit to your husbands. 
and ultimately express your faith in God as you submit to him and his call. Amen? Okay, husbands, buckle up. Hope you're ready. So we've seen the beautiful design of the wife in a marriage relationship. Now we're going to see the, what I would describe as a cultivated design for the husband in the marriage relationship. And Peter, he's on it here. Historically, Peter was a married man. <laughs> and being a married man, he knows that the wives are chatty happy, so he gives them six verses. But for the men, he knows that they're straight shooters. Just tell me what to do, Peter. Take it some wonders. Which is kind of the opposite from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul is a single man. We won't go there. I just did. Um, but I think that what Peter has to say here to the men, to the, to the husbands, is the perfect complement to what the Apostle Paul has addressed to husbands in Ephesians chapter 5, but also in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And it's pretty straightforward that there is submission that is to take place in the home. Jesus is the head. Husbands submit to Jesus. And wives, wives submit to their husbands. And to Jesus, but they are called to submit to their husbands as we see in our text this morning. And so husbands, you have authority. But you also have an incredible amount of responsibility with that authority. And so we see in passages like Ephesians 5 that husbands are called to love their wives, they're called to lead their wives, but in our text here, husbands, you are called to learn your wives. To learn your wives. Verse 7, Peter says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Some of you might have a different translation that says, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Now, that word knowledge is an interesting one. It's used elsewhere in the New Testament to refer to sexual relations um, and the type of intimacy that occurs there. But Peter's not talking about sex here. Although, I think that's probably always a good application for husbands and wives. You can write that one down. We got an amen. But what Peter is talking about here, I think one commentator said it best when he says, what Peter's getting at here is the calling for husbands to live out their one flesh relationship with intimate care and concern. So husbands, do you view your wife as the greatest earthly treasure that God has given? Husbands, do you cherish your wives? Do you lay down your life for your wives? She deserves your care and your attention, and she also deserves your praise. Some days I view my wife as my greatest earthly treasure, but some days I do not, and I take it for granted. And I think it's on those days when I take my wife for granted. She'll come to me, she'll say something, and I don't dwell with her according to knowledge. The way that I live with her is to be understood. 
a real estate property. So maybe you might have a chisel at home. And when my wife comes to me with something and I don't agree with it, I pull out my chisel or my tool belt. And I begin to chip away at what she's saying. And I do that through questions, I do that maybe through my books. And before I know it, as I'm chiseling away at what she's saying that I don't like or agree with, maybe I'll get the hammer out and start really chipping away. But before I know it, I've broken off too much. And I've hurt my wife. And I have to reach in my tool belt and pull out the duct tape. Repentance and faith is what I'm talking about here. Repentance and forgiveness. But I think we often are critical to our lives. What we say to them, how we act around them. Maybe it's through nonverbals, maybe it's through looks, or maybe it's just through coldness. As Peter's calling us to live with our lives in an understanding way. You seek to understand, not to be understood. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to have this authority in your head. So, how are you doing at living with your wife in an understanding way, husbands? Are you more of a chiseler or are you more of a cultivator? Think of a garden that needs lots of cultivating, pruning, watering, words of encouragement. One practical way that I try to cultivate this concept in my marriage is as I see myself as a learner of Michelle, literally a student of her, who takes good notes. So when we were dating, I'd ask her all these questions, you know, it's awesome, you know her. And she'd tell me all these things, and I'm like, gosh, I can't write these things down. So I started keeping a note in my phone, which I still have today. And I'd write things down like her favorite flower, places that she'd like to go visit, maybe her room size. <laughs> and it paid off! Because she loves like Indian paintbrush wildflower. She wants to go to Patagonia someday. She eventually said yes when I proposed. Eventually. <laughs> but I still use that note today. As we're eight plus years in, I still view myself as a student of my wife. And I ask her questions. And I write down what she says. I also put in there when we're having conversations, I'll come to that note later, and I'll say, here's adventures that she wants to go on with the kids. There's a place that she would still like to go visit. Date night ideas, gift ideas, maybe I'm walking in a store and I see something, oh, she'd really like that, but I don't know why I want to buy that without her knowing. So I'll put it in the note. So, husbands, you don't have to do that. But you are called to live with your wife in an understanding way. So, how are you going to pursue that? And let me encourage you it has to be with intentionality, it has to be with thoughtfulness. Your wife is worthy of your reflection. And this demonstrates your faith in God as you submit to his call in your life as a husband. 
So now let's turn our attention to what all of you have been waiting for in this passage this morning. How Daniel can hear Angel the Weaver Vessel aspect. And I would say that Peter, unfortunately, here has to remind the men that their wives are co heirs of the grace of life. And I think that he does this because Peter knows that occasionally, or maybe even often, men tend to think of themselves as superior, and that their wives are inferior to them. And so I think the weakness, this idea that the woman is the weaker vessel, what Peter's talking about here, is in the context of these men who want to lord their authority over their wives. And so I think what he's talking about here is this physical weakness, and this idea of that men can have this stature, and they can create this culture within their marriage that is dominant. And that can be abusive, both verbally and both physically. And so that's what I think Peter is talking about. When, when you talk about physical stamina for women, I mean, I can't even run a mile. And there's women who run iron women's. I am <laughs> Talk about a punchline. Okay, but seriously. My wife has had four children, all natural. Like, if I was a woman and I found out I was pregnant, pregnant, I want an epidural for like the whole nine months. Not, not just labor. So, so what Peter's talking about here, and remember, in the context of an emperor, who hated his people in the context of not just employer and employees, but slaves who unjustly beat, are beaten by their masters. Likewise, wives who are being treated unjustly by their husbands. Peter's saying, husbands, remember, they are co-heirs. They are fragile. And husbands, if that's you, and you're doing that, let me encourage you. No, let me tell you, repent. Stop doing that. That is not what God calls you to, to be the head of your home in marriage. They are co-heirs with you. They are just like you, all the bride of Christ. We have been bought by his blood. We are precious to she is, you are, we all are, as the church. So honor them. Show them dignity. Show them the respect that God shows Peter closes out with this interesting concept of, if you do not honor them, then your prayers will be hindered. But I want to point your eyes to this little word at the end of chapter 7. Uh, sorry, verse 7. Of chapter 3. He says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That word your there is in is, is plural. And what Peter is communicating there is that it's both the husbands and wives. There's an assumption that the husbands and the wives are praying to you. Which honestly 
Husbands, this, this is probably one of the most difficult things to cultivate in my own marriage. It is a life of prayer with my wife. But Peter's calling us to that right here. He's assuming that we are already doing that. And I've just been very convicted through this week that I don't do that well as a husband. And I need to fail in that as I want. And so, I've been trying to cultivate, and typical Daniel fashion, it's like, okay, I'm going to shoot for the moon, I'm going to do it three times a day, and I get like, once in three weeks. So, guys, this is, this is a tremendous benefit that it can bring to the marriage. You together get to go before the throne of grace with your bride. If you see that your wife is anxious, like mine was this week, we have an opportunity to pray to the one who is in control of all things. We get to know our wives through their prayers. I've often wondered if at the end of our life, and we stand before God and give an account for the life that we've lived, if husbands, if we'll get to be there with our wives, if, if we'll get to see how that conversation goes when our wives meet our marriage. And so, husbands, let me encourage you to cultivate how that conversation will go. Whether you get to be there or not, we have an opportunity to cultivate that prayer and going before the throne. What we're called to right here. So, what does that leave us? That leaves us with a lot, I would say. What Peter's calling us to these imperatives for wives and husbands, it's a hard call. And maybe some of you are feeling the weight of that here this morning. And maybe that weight is so heavy that it feels like too much to bear. And, and you see the, the areas that you fail. So let me encourage you. Don't look at your failures. Look at your sin. Look at Jesus upon whom you died on that cross. You see, Jesus came as a baby. But before he went to the cross, he had to do something. And so he grew up as a man. And what he did he perfectly obeyed what God called him. Jesus knew the standard and knew that it was high, and he submitted himself to it perfectly. And he did that for you, and he did that for me. So that when we see God's standard or God's law, and it crushes us, and we can't live underneath the weight of it, like maybe you're feeling this morning, Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus who has given us his righteousness. He has lived a sinless life for us so that we can have hope. And Jesus not only lived a sinless life, he not only died, he not only rose from the dead, but he gave us his spirit. So now, if you put your faith in Jesus, 
you have the Spirit, and you can do what He's asking. You can live the life that He's called you to. Now, we don't, we don't do it perfectly, but we strive to. And when we fail, praise God that His righteousness does not waver. His righteousness does not go back and forth, but God has graciously So as we shut down our time here and we see this beautiful Levi take wives as they submit to their husbands, and as we see the calling of the husbands to submit themselves to what God's word has said, let us all take ourselves and submit ourselves to this creator God who made the beautiful covenant of marriage and let us entrust ourselves to it. One of my favorite verses in the entire book, 1 Peter 4.19. Let us entrust ourselves to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for an opportunity to gather as your people here this morning. Lord, this calling that we have is high. This calling that we have is large for husbands and wives. And Lord, we realize that we cannot do it by ourselves. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you lived a life in our place, that we no longer have to pursue a righteousness by living up to a standard or obeying God's law, but righteousness has been imputed to us. And so, Lord, I pray just that if there are folks here today who have yet to come to faith, Lord, I pray that you would do heavy lifting, that you would lift up the burden that they're feeling, that you would remove the weight, and that they would trust in you. And Lord, I pray if there are sons or daughters here this morning who feel that burden still, Lord, I pray that they would run to you. I pray that they would entrust themselves to your promises that you have graciously given to us, that you will fulfill. And Lord, I also pray for... Uh, for those who are maybe in a very difficult marriage circumstance, Lord, I pray just that you would do the work to uh, direct their steps and the help that they need. Lord, um, I thank you for this church community and for the many marriages that have been healed in light of bringing their marriage issues to the light. Um, and I pray just that we would continue to strive to be a community that spurs one another on in our marriages and in our lives. So thank you, Lord. Lord, as we uh, remember your life and your death here this morning, I pray just that you would protect us as we go forth and that you would be on. In Jesus' name.